Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott. Good afternoon, everyone. Come on in. Come on into the recovery room. We've got a special one today, live from España, live from Catalonia, Spain. You know, we're taking the recovery room on the road and you guys are coming with us. It's always work. Even when we're on the road, we're always working. Look at the beautiful sunshine, the beautiful hills behind us. Hey King, I appreciate that. How's everyone feeling today? Come on, put down in the comments how you're feeling. If, if we're feeling good, we're a 10. You're alive, I am alive, the plane, yeah. It was good, you know, Kim really helps. The anxiety came a couple of times, but do you know what I mean? It, it was really good. I actually managed to have like a glass of uh, champagne on, on there and I've never in the last 10 years, never drunk on a plane. So that was a big win. It does feel good. Thank you so much. You're feeling good. I love that. Come on, let's get the guys on. So we've got Kim, Andrew, always on time. Really great talk as well today. Hello from Ireland. Yeah, get the questions in as well, Drew. Dude, we you made it. I you made look, it. I that made looks it. awesome. We're here. We're here. So this is the roof. This is a terrace of my mum's um, hills in the background. Beautiful sunshine. Can life get any better? No, it really can't. It can't, Kim. Firstly, Kim, I want to thank you for, for all the um, motivation and, and, and uh, skills and tips. Like I said, we, we, we know that we've all come through anxiety disorders, but we all get anxiety in certain situations. And it, uh, that's why I felt it was really important to highlight that to a common fear like the fear of flying we know so many people deal with. So to get that out in the open and to come with the tips that really helped, by the way, um, I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You did so good. And Thank I agree. You. I think we're always just peeling layers off in recovery, right? Like you you find little areas where you can still, you know, do some extra work. So I'm so excited. Yeah, exactly. And what, um, what I loved, um, do you know when I sent you the picture of it raining in Manchester? And were you running, by the way, when you came yeah, back? Yeah, I was walking. You're like, Dean, you're like, Dean, Dean, listen, the, just because it's raining, that doesn't mean that that's danger. And that yeah. really stuck with me. Um, like, planes don't go back in the hangars, Drew, do they, when it starts raining, yeah? No, I've flown through some pretty nasty weather. And I don't like yeah. it, but... No, no. You know, yeah. Yeah, and it, like, it was really, really good. There was times where the anxiety came, but it was, honest to God, it was nothing major. And it was more beforehand, um, like before mm. boarding, I started to get nausea and like having to go to the toilet and more the physical side of that. But mm -hmm. once I was on and, and got got into the groove of things, yeah, it was good, man. So thank you so much to yes, both of you. Yes, yes. Really appreciate so it. So good. Drew, if you Very just good. want to explain, if you just want to explain uh, the topic today and why you chose it, um, it's a really good topic, yeah? Yeah, it's a thing that gets talked about a lot in, in the communities. You know, and, and my Facebook group is always a hotbed of topics. So, you know, those fine people always tell me what to talk about, which is great. Uh, and the whole, you know, friends, family, relationships thing as it relates to anxiety and recovery is always a big question. You know, how do I 
you know, my partner is not being sympathetic enough. They're not helping me. They're being cruel to me. Or how should I get my family involved is a lot of things. It's something that I hear people ask all the time. Like, what role can they play? Should I tell my friends? So, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. So when we do this thing that we do, like people around us will see us and want to be involved or not be involved or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it is what it is. And so it's always nice to talk about that because, again, no man is an island. No person yeah, in the island. No, I really appreciate that. And for the guys, we're going to do it. Um, the people in the live, if you want to ask questions specifically on relationships, so it could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever, or friendships, or even co-workers. Um, if you want to ask questions about anxiety recovery and the people around you, you just pop it in the either the question box or in, in the comments, and we'll, we'll um, get them for you. But Drew, um, if you just want to start off about um, how how the people around you, how were they? So how was your close, immediate family, work colleagues when you were going through an anxiety disorder? Um, was it helpful? Was the strains in the relationships and what helped you regarding them, um, them situations? Yeah, I mean, you know, I went through it for many, many years in, in different at different times over many years, right? So the people who were close to me every time it happened, there was absolute impact. There's no doubt about that. So the first time it ever happened to me, you know, when I first started having panic attacks and that became panic disorder and I was heading toward agoraphobia, I mean, I was much younger. I was in college. I was only 19 years old. And I had a girlfriend who had been my girlfriend for a very long time all through high school. And she became my safe person instantly. And she yeah. really had to put up with a lot of stuff with me, you know, and, and, and I, to this day, I would give her a lot of credit and I'm eternally grateful for how understanding she really was. But I was putting so much in her lap, like I always had to be with her. And it was it was very difficult. And then, you know, when it came back again in different times, same things, the people around me became my safe people. And it was really difficult. So yeah, I kind of forced them to see me struggle because I was did responding. You, did so you find badly. that you were trying to gain um, reassurance from uh, from her a lot? No, but it's so interesting. I was never the person that would ask if I was okay. I just needed them to be there in case I wasn't. If that, I'm sure some people could relate to that, but I was never the overt tell me I'm okay person, you know, so for whatever reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they kind of became like, you know, I would lean on them a lot. And that was hard for them. It was hard for me too. So when I really started my recovery work in, you know, the 2007, 2008, that, that time, I really had to make a firm decision with myself. This was a decision I made for myself to disengage from them. And I remember sitting down with my family and saying, look, I'm going to start doing things that you're going to think is weird and I shouldn't do. And you're going to see me like kind of intentionally feeling bad, but please don't ask me how I'm doing. Don't ask me how it's going. Don't ask me how I'm feeling. Even when you could see that I'm not feeling well, don't ask me that anymore. Because um, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. If I need you, I'll ask you, you know, or if I need some encouragement, I'll ask you to cheer for me. And uh, yeah, that, re, that's really interesting, Drew, because I, I think we've mentioned it before. Um, like in high levels of anxiety, when I had friends or family around me, I found it really useful to actually tell them when I was feeling anxious. It actually reduced the anxiety at the time. Now, I don't know, um, Kim, you might be able to uh, chime in here. I don't know if that was continuing the anxiety loop, maybe, but it was reducing the anxiety. So I'd have these irrational thoughts or I'd have the feelings of uh, physical sensations with anxiety. I'd tell the person next to me, hey, I'm feeling anxious. And I would feel that I've got it out from me onto someone else and the anxiety would, uh, would reduce. 
Would you say, Kim, from a therapist's point of view, that that's a good thing? Or would you say that sometimes that, that could keep you caught up in the weep of anxiety? Well, I think it's more about the intention. So if you're doing it just to share, like I'm going through something, so I might be a little off, and you're going back to your own coping skills, it can be really effective, right? We're, we're communal people. We like being in relationship with people. And so that that's fine. However, if your intention of it is for them to take away your anxiety or for them to be in charge of your anxiety or in, in any way, you know, help you from, you know, this, you're like you're labeling your anxiety as the problem, well, then absolutely you're going to get them caught up in an accommodation loop, right? Accommodation is anytime a family member or loved one or friend is engaging in a behavior to help you manage your anxiety. Um, and we try not to do that as best as we can. Everyone will, right? We all do it in some areas. But if you're noticing big trends in that direction, we'll definitely look at the accommodation with the family member. Yeah, I mean, I, what you said there, um, like you say, it's re really important, real, really great that people are talking about anxiety and, and not feeling uh, scared to speak about their emotions and feelings. But I'm just trying to think, was I doing it to reduce the anxiety? I think the question is probably yes, because I realized that it did reduce the anxiety. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe mm. it, over the long run, it probably wasn't the best thing right. for me to do. Yeah. However, um, it's like a similar situation to like a thought diary, isn't it? So instead of telling someone, writing it down in a journal, some people find useful, yeah? Yeah. Drew, was that in did you ever do any of that, any journaling? No, I, I never did any of that. You know, it, it wasn't, I didn't find it to be terribly useful. It wasn't anything I was drawn to. It doesn't mean that it's not useful for other people. I just didn't do it. But I, yeah. I was definitely, it was interesting because I probably was using my family members as my journal. Like, yes. that's probably yeah. true. Now, for me, me I too. don't think, me yeah, if, if I think about the intent, was I trying to get it to reduce that's a that's really good question. It like, is a good question, and I was because thinking. it's not always so clear, right? I think no. for me, it was it just felt safer. Which then, I guess theoretically, yes, was an attempt to reduce the discomfort. Like if I would say it, then at least if something really was wrong, yeah. somebody would would know, and they'd be able to do something about it. So, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it was it was weird. It was very sneaky too. I yes. found myself really very getting very sneaky about the way I would talk about it. I would make jokes about it and start to like, oh, this stupid anxiety. Like, yeah, I know. I heard you right? say that. Um, <laughs> I heard you said that last time, and yeah, that's not that's not a, a line that I um, that I did. I did. I didn't try and do it that way. But that, that's really interesting that you that you wouldn't directly speak about it. You'd almost like nonchalant say it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was really being slick. I, I wasn't being slick at all. <laughs> there was nothing slick about that. It was very ham-handed in a way, mm -hmm. but. Uh, and it, it did. It had an impact on the people around me. Um, I could see it in their faces after a while. Like, you know, it's just not fair. Uh, you know, I, I got a chance to speak to some people the other day in a small group, which was really great. And I had a couple of people say, it stinks because I feel like the third child in the family. Like, I feel like my wife has to take care of me. I feel like my mm -hmm. husband has to take care of me. So that that felt icky. That wasn't good. You know, I didn't like that. Yeah. So. Um, loads of questions, guys, coming in. So I reckon we, we just get um, started sure. with them. Um, so I spot, how do I stop ghosting people before they ghost me? Um, anyone want to start off with that one? 
Well, I, I would jump in and say, okay, so it sounds like you're mind reading a little here, which is a common cognitive distortion. How do you know they're going to ghost you? It, I think we right. often engage in safety behaviors to protect ourselves from feeling hurt. And so if we have a thought, we believe they may or may not ghost us. We may ghost them first just to protect ourselves from that happening. But I think the real thing to remember with all fear is just because you think it might happen doesn't mean it will. Um, You can't mind read what they're going to do and what they want to do. And so it might be better having a communication with them about how they're feeling about the relationship before doing that sort of self-sabotage behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say this and I I really think it's something I'm really passionate about. And when people say, how do I stop thinking? How do I stop thinking these anxious thoughts? It's not, it's not the thoughts that, that cause the anxiety. It's the, it's the react. Well, obviously we know it's the behavior towards the thoughts, but it's that anxious response for me anyway, that then cause the anxiety. So, I get a thought, but then my heart would start racing. Um, I'd start breathing funny or whatever. And then because I had this response, I would validate that thought then and say, well, this must be real because it's causing these sensations, right? Right, right. Yeah. So I was going to say, the question was, how do I stop ghosting people so they don't ghost me? Is that what the person said? Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have an answer for this because I did that. I did that. Okay. Uh, yes, okay. I did that. Um, and it was, you know, from a strictly friendship and relationship standpoint, it was really rude because what was going on is, you know, my friends would want to engage socially. Like, let's go to, you know, we're going to meet for lunch. We're going out for drinks. We're going to happy or whatever it is. And no, like I, I couldn't air quotes, couldn't do that. I, I didn't want to do that because I was very anxious leaving the house and being on my own. And I was afraid to panic. So I would just, instead of saying, well, I'm struggling with this anxiety problem, so these are things that I can't do at the moment, but thank you, I would make up silly excuses or just not answer. Because it was, you know, to a certain extent, the, I was, I was, just I was a little say, Drew, what's the re- I was just going to ask you, what's the reason you think that you wasn't open and honest about the anxiety then to them? It, well, you know, full disclosure... I don't normally have full disclosure. Like I'm not a big sharer. That's true. Right. Like it's so weird that I wound up in this thing. Like this is crazy. I'm on camera all the time. I'm constantly talking to microphones and I'm not a big share, which, yeah. you know, if you follow me, you kind of know, like I don't really share a whole lot of stuff about my life. Right. Once in a while. But I, so I've always not been a big share. And I think it was just, you know, I felt like I was, I knew it wasn't right what I was doing. And I, I felt, I felt weird telling people like, yeah, I'm afraid to come to happy hour. Like that, because I yeah. know I shouldn't be afraid. So it's like, well, I'm, I don't want to talk about that. So I, I kind of got rude and I ghosted people a lot. And I, I just, I kept saying no and no and no and no. And, and I, I had to really work hard to repair some of those friendships and some of them I couldn't. So it's really you know. interesting though, isn't it? Because like you say, there's almost like an embarrassment or um, like it's almost the stigma, isn't it? You, you not being able to say, well, I'm, uh, I get scared in this situation. Whereas that's what we're really trying to do, that saying that it's okay to tell people that you get scared in these situations. Because when you're anxious, guess what? You're going toe-to-toe with fear, and that takes courage, and that takes a lot of motivation. It takes a lot of strength. And people who do that, they're not weak, they're strong. Mm. When, you want to hear something funny about that, um, which I, I think I can add to this. It yeah. wasn't even so much the, a stigma. Like, I don't ever worry about being embarrassed. So if I really think about that, I, I will, you know, I'll have to uncover a little personality flaw. And that is, don't tell me what to do. 
I, I will admit it's a problem for me. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do anything for you. Just don't tell me to do it. Right. So and I'm working on it. But nonetheless, it was one of those situations where if I were to tell somebody I'm afraid to go to happy hour, I know logically that I shouldn't be afraid to go to happy hour. I know they know that I shouldn't be afraid. So it was being smacked in the face with with the sheer irrationality that I hated so much. And it was almost like being told nobody told me what to do, but it was almost like, well, now I have to confront the fact that I should be doing this. Mm -hmm. So, like, don't make me confront the irrationality here. I want to go hide. So it wasn't so much embarrassment or stigma. It was that, as crazy as that sounds. That's convoluted, I know, but that was my crazy head. Yeah. Um, the next question, guys, Kim, if you want to start off with this one. Someone said, um, me having anxiety really causes arguments uh, within the relationships close to me. Did any of you guys experience that? And what did you find helped with those situations? Mm. Yeah, no. So this is this is a big part of mine, right? So for me... Um, when I was anxious or even my husband was anxious and in my family of, of origin, not so much, but more is we, when someone was anxious, they would be quite snappy at the other person, like just short and irritable. And sometimes people aren't doing huge accommodation behaviors, but they are sort of displacing their anxiety onto each other. So I think that's actually really common. And from that, there can be arguments. Now, in addition to that, if the partner believe is is accommodating, they can get quite resentful, right? It's a lot of work to accommodate your partner's anxiety or to constantly be there for them and so forth. So yes, ang anger, big fights and things like that can very much show up, resent and so forth. I think it's important first to really pull apart that accommodation to reduce those arguments and also to work at communication when you're anxious. Um, because it's a huge thing. I know I do it, especially sometimes with my kids is I'll be like all sharp and, and scratchy and it's not cool. Right. And then I have to be like, wait, what's happening? So I think that those are some ideas that you can talk to, but it's mostly about communication. Hey, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to be over here doing what I need to do. Like Josh would say, if he was here, like who gets credit, I'm going to be taking care of it. Um, you're allowed to have your feelings about me having anxiety, um, but we're going to communicate about them ca carefully and respectfully instead of in a blaming, shaming way. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Joy? I don't think it was so much arguments because, again, like the argument, this is so funny, a little bit of therapy for me today. I'm really confronting some stuff that I really hadn't thought about. That's great. That's great. Like, um, interestingly, not so much arguments because, Anybody who knows me personally is going to have a hard time believing this, but I would back away from that, which is 180 degrees normally. I'm not argumentative or conf confrontational for the sake of it, but I've never, you know, avoided that. I prefer to talk about stuff and get it settled, right? But in, in those times, it would be like, no, I don't want to get into an argument because I'm arguing from an absolutely irrational, indefensible mm -hmm. point of view. Um, so, no, I would back away from the arguments, but there were many times that I could see it in their faces, like again, like, can I just get 10 minutes to myself? I remember very specifically one day, you know, my, the, the look in my wife's face was just, you know, at the time. And she just, she looked at me and she said, I, I just need, I just need two hours. And she had to go out and, and she was going to see a friend. And, and I remember thinking, oh, okay. And I, it really was part of my wake up call. Uh, so mm -hmm. I didn't argue. I would back away from it. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. 
And thank you, Dre, for why you say you're sharing some things that you wouldn't do. So, so, so really I hadn't thought about these in a long time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Like, um, yeah. I know we don't like touching on anxiety symptom questions, but honestly, about five or six people have been asking the same question. So I think it'd be rude if I didn't answer it. Um, so they're just saying about breathing anxiety. Um, how do you how do you help with that? So if you're hi- hyperventilating, what would you say the best thing to do in that situation is? Um, I know we talk about in the middle of a panic attack, trying to do deep belly breathing might sometimes make the anxiety worse because you're focusing on, on the breathing, which can then create more anxiety. But for me, personally, putting it into my routine and doing the correct way of deep belly breathing um, was really helpful because we know everything with anxiety. Sorry, I don't know what that, I think it's a moped or something. Uh, <laughs> a There's a drone attack. They know where you are, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, practicing it and practicing it really helped. And we know that with anxiety exposure, everything, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. So incorporating it into my day-to-day living really helped me. I don't know you guys, did you uh, deal with hyperventilation to do with anxiety and do you have any personal tips just that just really really um the more you hold you know again you you need to breathe right so it's important that you do some people hold their breath on purpose you know hold it you know in the breeze position which is you responding to that fear right so you want to sort of go back to and then (laughs) you're like yes me so that's that's a huge piece of the work yeah you know that thing where you're driving and you think like that last right, that was a green light, right? Where you check out a little bit. I would do that with my breathing. Yeah. Like I, I would be that, when is the last time I took a breath? And I would <laughs> discover that I was holding my breath. It was really weird. And then when you do that, which was a little bit of an involuntary, then you have to start to breathe again. Your heart rate is up and it's not yes. right. You have to catch <laughs> up like, yeah. and it would ignite that fire. So Dean, I can't agree with you anymore. Like I practiced belly breathing so often that now when I still get that feeling, if I'm stressed, I get that tight feeling right here at the base of my neck Mm -hmm. and I can easily fall into the habit of like trying to fill my lungs all the way. But like, it's almost automatic now after a minute, it's like, Oh, that's right. We don't do that. And I just belly breathe. And within minutes, that sensation is kind of gone and it's back to normal. So practice, practice, practice. Exactly. It's so why you say, once you get the hang of it, it's, it's so... That moped's back, guys. He's doing his rounds. <laughs> He's doing his Friday afternoon yeah. rounds. Um, yeah. It's so powerful uh, once you get the hang of it. it really is. Yeah. Um, I can see that the questions are building up, so I'm just going to get into them. Um, one second. Here we go. Um, my husband says it's all in my head and gives myself basically it gives her more anxiety because he's invalidating um, her anxiety. Any tips on that, guys? Well, I don't know if this is the tip that is directly hits it on the head, but it might be important for some people is a lot of time when I'm counselling people and they're reporting that a family member is invalidating, as, as silly as this sounds, it is I really encourage you not to go to them when you're struggling and that might sound so easy to it like oh of course 
But a lot of people, because they invalidated them, they keep going back hoping. Because they want the validation, Yeah, right? hoping yeah. to get it. And if, if you didn't get it the first time or maybe the second time, I would actually, the most compassionate thing you can do is to not go to them anymore and to re recognize for yourself. Like we, you know, I talk a lot about this in my book, is be your first line of, of, of backup. Like always be on your side. You, if we, we don't need... If you can be on your own side, you don't need other people to validate your anxiety because you already have, right? You've already told yourself, my pain matters. This is hard. It's important that I take care of myself. Like you've given yourself all of those um, validations that that person probably can't give you right now for whatever reason. Yeah. That's How good. about you, Joe? Anything? Yeah. I, you know, this is a, a thing that I sometimes people get a little bit annoyed when I say I've done a couple of podcast episodes on this too. I really stopped demanding that they validate my anxiety. So there's two different things, right? So let's assume you go to work and something bad happens and you have a fight with a coworker or have, you lose your job, you're laid off, whatever it is, you come home, you're really anxious and upset. Well, that clearly deserves validation and your family probably would because they understand that. But for me to keep telling my family that, it felt like I was having a heart attack for the 7,000th time. They, they don't understand that, nor should they. Like they have, would have no reason to understand that at all because again, it's irrational. So when I stopped caring if they understood, things actually got way better. And I think it also points out the, the value in this like community like this because here you are surrounded by people who do understand that yes. and can say, yes, I know how that feels. You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. I get it too. But people who don't experience it, they can sympathize, but they will never empathize because they don't understand it. And they don't have mm -hmm. to. And we have to stop trying to demand that they do. Yeah, and it's really hard. Like, like Kim said, um, it's almost like a default at the start. Um, but I've, my, my um, answer is very similar to yours, Drew. And you know that I'm into stoicism a lot. So knowing that each of us will all live in our individual realities and it's the stories that we tell ourselves and each person's different, right? So what somebody's saying, just because they're saying that they may have had a bad day or something, they, and they may not be reacting the way that you want them to, but you need to step aside, step away, step back from that and know that you can't control their behavior and that's okay. And that's important to what you said, Kim, is that if you can validate it yourself and you know what the anxiety is and how painful it is. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter around the people. It's what it's very hard to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And it took me a while, but it, yeah, stoicism really, really helped me in that, in that fact. And Drew, I know you like stoicism as well. Huge, as well, huge right? fan. Yeah. yeah. And, and for, for those, that person who reminded me, I, I paused my Slack notifications. Sorry. <laughs> I have piped through because I'm recording this, the audio, audio for us. Sorry. Right, next question, guys. Let's go. So it's a little bit. Um, I'm unable to go out. How can I stop having worries about it? I just can't go out of the house. Anyone want to start with that one? I, I would just, I would add here really quick that you can not want to go out and have worries about it and go out at the very same time. And I know that sounds easy, right? So I don't want that to sound like, you know, oh, it's just so easy because it's not. But sometimes that's the first adjustment, right? Is if we have this deal with ourselves that 
I, I can't, I can go out of the house if I don't have anxiety. Well, then you won't probably ever leave the house. So sometimes it's just giving yourself permission to go to the mailbox and back um, with anxiety you'll start to be feel really empowered and start to learn that you can tolerate those feelings. Kim, we've been doing this so long and I literally know, I mean, I heard you say exactly what you said about two seconds before you said it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking exactly the same thing. Well, oh, I need to stop answering that question then, do I? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because the answers are pretty much always the yeah. same. They, they yeah. sort of are, you know, so. Well, you want to know, I'll tell you what, let me actually respond to that. And maybe we can do this in future recovery rooms is a lot of my clients go WWKS, which is what would Kimberly say, right? <laughs> um, and so in, in, they'll say to themselves when they have a question throughout the week and they want to email and ask me, they go, wait, WWKS. And they can fit, they can hear my voice. They know what I would say. So if you want to, I always say to my patients, if you want to check in, that's a good way of building your own ability to solve these problems. Um, but for you, Dean, I'll just be like WWKS. That's my answer. <laughs> that is so, that's so funny. In my Facebook group, they say it all the time. I had your voice in my head. What would you tell me to do? And it's like, oh boy, I don't know if that's creepy or not, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next question, guys. There's so many of them as well, which is fantastic. And uh, everyone's wanting to share about the, the home lives. Um, Get this asked a lot on the community. So we have um, a lot of teenagers, uh, maybe young adults. My parents just don't understand the mental health issues um, they give me. So so this is a little bit different. So they're saying that the stress comes from the parents. Um, and, they, yeah, they don't know how to, how to live in this situation. So I think if we start off with boundaries, how important boundaries are in place. And even though you're living with someone, you can still put them boundaries in place right can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it depends on the age, I would say, in terms of when you do apply boundaries. Some people are at the age of particularly or a particular culture where boundaries are really difficult. Um, and But I think it's definitely worth navigating. The other thing I would encourage is find your people, right, who get what you're going through. So even if you've got parents who are, you know, a headache, is find other people of like-minded aged people who are going through similar just so that you feel less alone, right? Sometimes that being just knowing you're not alone, knowing that someone does understand makes difficult people and difficult family members much easier to manage, right? And it, sometimes it's sort of like you can, they can coach you through. You could text them while you're with them and be like, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe what my dad just said and so forth. And it diffuses the, the, the shame and blame that we experience when we're with our family members. So many lovely comments um, from people, uh, which is always nice to see. Uh, bigging up the team, which is fantastic. And they're loving the view. So, yeah, I appreciate that because it took me ages to put the table where it is. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, if you guys are just sending me stress in, um, let's have a quick look at the next question. Um, okay, so I put my life on hold to raise children and be a, and be a wife. Now I'm suffering badly. I hear that a lot as well. Uh, Drew, yeah. um, do you want to start off with that one? Well, I've never been a wife, so I cannot, nope. I cannot respond. <laughs> only only with, at the weekend, yeah? Yeah, so, well, <laughs> we don't talk about that. It's only after a few drinks. But I think, um, you know, in the end, this is a thing that I struggled with a little bit, not because I, you know, all my, well, you know, my kids now are in college. So yeah, I'm having a little bit of that, but it was in, in for me, anxiety was such a full, being anxious was such a full-time job as crazy as that sounds like 
You know, it was really kind yeah. of a, my full-time job, always being aware of how I felt. Second you wake being, up. Yeah. Yes, always like engineering and navigating and engineering and like protecting and like guarding and, and trying to not panic. That when it, it was getting better, I had to really start to think about like, what do I, who even am I now? So mm. that was really difficult. Now, I'm not claiming that it's the exact same experience as, as having been a, you know, a wife and a mom for many years, but it's pro- there's probably similarities. And I could tell you what I did on, on the advice of my old therapist, who was gracious enough, I did a one-off session with her and she said, just how about you go to Starbucks and just sit there and drink coffee? And I'm like, that's not a thing. And she was like, no, it's, why isn't that a thing? Of course it's a thing. And that little tiny, silly bit of advice kind of really helped me a lot because I just started just doing things, yeah. you know, cause I, I wasn't afraid to do them and I didn't know if I was going to like them or not. Sometimes I was faking it. Sometimes I was pretending and just naturally I got in that, in the, the groove of like, Oh, I, I do like that. That's right. I, I like this or no, I don't want to do that again. I didn't really like that. So instead of sitting and hoping that I would be able to think of who I was, I had to go out and actually see again who I was by yeah. doing things and trying things. Um, that really helped me a lot. That was a process. But I couldn't just sit and in my brain come up with who I was without anxiety. I had to actually experience it. So mm-hmm. again, and you guys are probably tired of hearing me saying it, behaving Trump thinking yet again. Yet yeah. again. Yeah. Thinking is so yeah. overrated. It really is. 100%. Um, Kim, with you being a wife and having children, and I know you got a good answer for us. Um, yeah, I have so many thoughts on this, but I'll keep it really short. Here is what I'm going to say. I have learned my kids are not six and 10 and I have, I gave them everything at the start. And I learned that I didn't, was not a better mom because of it. I'm a better mom when I take care of myself. And it doesn't mean I'm in the bath having spa days. What I mean by is I take a walk. I call a friend. I have alone time in the evening. Like this idea that we have to put our lives on hold is, is a completely false story right and we have to stop buying into that you can be an amazing mom who teaches their kids independence and how to take care of themselves by modeling that to them so I really think that what Drew's saying is really important and and I I do this more and more the the more I realize like wow I'm just I'm doing this I'm, I'm playing out this whole scenario as if I'm oh so important when the truth is I I could easily be taking care of myself right now yeah, one bit of advice, uh, which was really good. Um, you, you guys have heard of Radio 1, yeah? Uh, the BBC Radio 1, the um, mm-hmm. radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like a celebrity um, doctor on there who's actually a good friend of mine. Uh, and she gave some really good advice, which was, um, try, try think of a hobby that you did when you was 12 or like when you was, when you was a child that you really loved and find time to, to connect with that hobby again. Yeah. And I did it. Um, it was swimming, so I went back swimming, and it re- it was really beneficial for me, you know, because yeah. they're like, you enjoyed that as a kid, you just don't have the time to do it now. Just take yeah. some time out during your routine to do something that you like, and yeah, it'll really help you overall. And it was yeah. really good advice. Yeah, good stuff happens too. These guitars behind me that everybody always points out, I wouldn't have them if I didn't get that advice. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I used to be really musical, so I went and bought a cheap guitar, and I'm like, I'll teach myself how to play, and then here you go. I've spent too much money on guitars. I don't play well. So. <laughs> How many have you got now? Be careful. I had more. No, I have three. I had right. more. So yeah, we've, we've sanity has prevailed. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Next. Well, these questions are just building up guys. Um, okay. 
Um, so we get we get asked this a lot. A lot of people saying they miss their old life before their anxiety disorder. Uh, life stops. Can't be alone for years now. Uh, can't even leave the house. What can I do? Start um, tiny, tiny, and and it's all about these small steps that you make, and you need to be rewarding yourself. Just telling yourself how well you're doing, how hard and difficult the road is, but you 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 continually going forward. We always say recovery is not linear. It's not a straight line. There's going to be humps and bumps in the road, but you will get there. It might take you a little bit longer than than myself or than Drew, than Kim, but everyone's journey is different. And no matter where you are on the journey, if you do have relapses, guess what? You're in a much better position than you was at the start because you now have these new tools. You know how to deal with the anxiety. So you're never going back to square one with a relapse and you will get to the end. Um, and just start small, like Drew said. Um, anyone else want to add anything to that? And just like Drew had said before, start small and do the things that actually bring you some joy and pleasure, right? So sometimes it's helpful if you're, if you're going to do a scary hard thing is do something that brings you closer to your values that, that actually will bring you some kind of satisfaction in your life as well. So that's how I would, that's the motivational fact part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Drew, anything else? No, well, I think, you know, of course the biggest issue, the psychoeducation plays such a huge role here. So the, the answer to, I can't leave the house the initial part of that answer is usually understanding and, and sort of accepting what's really going on there. Like, no, you can leave the house. You just don't because of how you feel when you leave. And like, well, for me to get my, my life back that you miss so much. And I, I really get that. I really feel for you. I understand that. I, I so many days I pined for like the old Drew. Um, and, you know, you just have to understand like, well, I'm going to have to start to confront that now and move through it in little tiny baby steps. So, if you don't start with that and understanding the process and the, me- the mechanism, then it's, it'd be really hard to start taking those steps because you don't know why you're taking them. I-, I find that that's a big deal. If you don't understand why you're doing it and you only get half the picture, I see these three people on Instagram, they keep talking about doing hard things and scary things. And Josh keeps talking about tolerance. But if you don't really understand why you're doing the hard things, mm-hmm. sometimes it seems pointless. And then it just feels like, well, this is just torture. I don't understand this. And you don't mm-hmm. know why you're doing it. So it's important. Know yeah. why. Know why. Yeah. I'm digging the taco comments. People are talking about taco. You getting that? I want a taco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of want a taco. It's 7.30 in the morning. I can't eat a taco. My friend texted me before. She's like, I'm making muffins. I'm like, I would totally have a muffin. And now I want a a taco. So I'll tell you what. We're actually going to um, the suit. Um, like a shopping center where they actually have a Taco Bell. So maybe I'm going to get a taco. There's a Taco Bell in Spain. Yeah. Oh, come on, America. We got to do better than that. Why do we spread our crap all over the world like that? <laughs> That's it. It's in the UK as well, you know? Uh, yeah. It is? Leave yeah, us alone yeah. and we'll, we'll spread everywhere. That's what we do. Right. Next question. How do you handle toxic parents? Well, again, I think it depends on the age. If you're an adult, I think it's learning how to set physical and emotional boundaries. If you're a teen... It's learning how to, again, set physical and emotional boundaries, but in different ways because you're still under their care. Um, I think the first thing I would say or the one thing I would say, and I don't know if Dean already knows what I'm about to say. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Um, But I think here is to recognize that your parents' toxic behavior is a reflection of them. 
it's not a reflection of you. So often when somebody shames us or, or, or guilts us or, or criticizes us, we assume that they must have a point, but it's really a reflection of them and their own stuff. Um, and so sometimes that can just take you when, when they're doing that behavior, you can just be an observer of it and be like, this is all about you, friend. Like, this is not about me and just allows you to stay in a place where you don't, it doesn't tend to come on so heavy or, or smack you in the face when it happens. Yeah. And yeah, it was really beneficial and you start to feel um, some empathy towards them knowing that the reason they're being like this is because of their own struggles. Honestly, it's really bad. Really, really powerful, but it's so hard to do that initially because our default is, well, they're being like this and it must be because of me because we know with anxiety disorders, we're always thinking inwards, right? Yeah, 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 mm. absolutely. Kimberly, can you do a book club with your, with your new book? I can't, I'm doing a 30-day self-compassion challenge. It starts today, so, yeah. but it'll be lots of book talk, don't you worry. Guys, as well, make sure you get Drew's audio book, which is out now. If you don't, he's going to stop being friends with me and he's going to not come to the recovery <laughs> room. So please, please. Wow. Okay. I'm going to fire you. I'm not going to be your friend. Yeah. It's a tough room, man. Come on, come on. We're going to in Spain. We're going to cancel When I flight. text Drew, I'm like, please don't block me. Please don't block me. <laughs> Anxiety Josh has come in, uh, which is fantastic. I know he's busy with clients, so. Thank you, Josh, for popping in. We you miss your face. You've been missed today. Um, he pops in just below, just above the troll, which is nice. fantastic. Oh. You know, you know, we love the troll in here. I've come to really enjoy the troll. Yeah, I actually have strong, warm feelings for him. Me too. Yeah, Me too. it wouldn't actually be the same without him. Um, next question. Let's go, guys. Else, we'll try and get as many. Honestly, there's over fifty questions still to answer. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, we're not going to be able to answer them all, but. Um. <laughs> uh, Hi, so Josh. Good. Even even my dog thought that was funny. Hear him in the background, right? So, how do you recover if you have no one, no support? Um, so no one wants to know all this. So basically, they feel like they're isolated, they're alone, mm -hmm. and they can't um, tell anyone and, and get support yeah. from them. What would your yeah. advice be? Use this community, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Oh my goodness. If I had this community, I feel like it would have been so much easier. And I did it alone, mostly because I was too proud to tell anybody. Um, even a lot of my husband didn't know what was going on. But if I had this community, I, I would have been, went, worked through so much of the shame of feeling alone and isolated. When you know other people are going through it, there's this, there's this sense of like validation and like, okay, okay. If, you know, Dean can do it, and if Drew can do it, well, I can do it too. So just use this community. We're not superheroes. We're not Avengers. Um, well, so, I don't know. I, I thought you were going to come with your Superman. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the number one reason why I set up DLC Anxiety. So I had an older, if you don't know the story, I'll say it quickly. I had an older friend at the time who'd actually been through an anxiety disorder. And when I was telling him the symptoms, he was relaying them back to me. And to me, it was scary. I was isolated. I thought that it was just me going through this. And no one else dealt with these symptoms. I thought I was alone. Now, he was telling me everything that I was feeling. I was like, oh, my God, this guy's actually been through this. Mm -hmm. um, and come out the other side. So he gave me inspiration, gave me hope. So I wanted to bottle up that feeling and try and do it on a bigger scale, which is where DLC Anxiety came. And 
exactly. It's a community of people going through an anxiety disorder. And no matter what stage of recovery they're at, they can help each other. And that's why it works so well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wish it, we had something like this um, when when I first started um, with the panic disorder. But I'm really grateful to have my friend at the time. Drew, did you have um, friends around you? I know you had like a little community on YouTube, right, at the time. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Like when this first became part, look, first, last time we asked this question, I got all kinds of old jokes thrown at. But, you know, so I'm, I'm waiting. I'm girding. I'm ready for it. You like, sent you know, them in have, the bottle. We didn't even you have the internet. Into the bottle. Right. Yeah. right. We were sending carrier pigeons. So like, I had to chisel, <laughs> chisel my fear into a rock. Like, it was really bad. But um, it's funny because I remember Dean saying, like, well, it was before YouTube. I'm like, oh, boo-hoo. No YouTube. I had no internet. Like, I had a public <laughs> library. So, um, yeah, but it, back when I started really doing the heavy lifting of recovery, I, I had – I started – I found a guy – Quickly, I'll tell the story because it's impactful. It's in my first book. I don't know who this guy is. JP of Diamonds was his his uh, YouTube channel. It's gone. It's disappeared. It's over. He made just sitting at his desk with his desk lamp on. He was in Sweden talking about panic attacks and, and how was he was he struggling. Yeah. Did he have an accent? A bit of an accent. Yeah, he was Got a it. jeweler. I'll never forget this dude. Like, I owe him a huge amount and I'm never going to know who he was. And that led me to start watching all his videos. And I connected with Billy Cross, Anxiety United. You guys that follow my podcast, New Belly. And uh, we kind of hooked up and a few other people hooked up and we would exchange exposure videos and cheer each other on. And that was a huge, huge, huge help. That actually is why I'm here now. Like uh, if it wasn't for those 10 people, I wouldn't be talking to you today. No, I wouldn't be dead, but, you know, I would never have had the impetus to do what I do now. So, yeah, on my community. I can relate to that so much. Uh, yeah. Kim, did you have like a little community um, that helped you through recovery? No. 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 Even. You, you I don't can know relate this... to the question then, yeah? Yeah, but this was my own doing. So I, I'll tell you a little story. Like it just, it's a personal story. I don't think I've told it either is um, only about a year and a half ago, I came very public with my eating disorder and I sent it to my eating disorder um, therapist at the time who helped me recover. And she said, you didn't tell me half of this. You didn't even tell me half of what was going on. She's like, you held your, your disorder so close and protected it from me. Um, and so, no, I did, I did not tell anyone. I did not tell my parents. I did not tell my sister. I did not tell my best friend. My husband knew, but not much. I just was so protective of it. Um, Thank you, Josh. He's saying yeah. keep all the good work. Uh, yeah, have a wonderful day, Josh. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't have a community. And I wished I had it because it would have gone so much easier if I did. It was just too much pride, too much pride involved. Would you tell your husband at the time or not? No, I mean, he saw me counting yeah. calories and restricting food and compulsive exercising and staring at calorie numbers for hours and but it didn't really impact him as much i was gonna say do you know because you were doing that on a day-to-day basis i imagine do you think that almost became a norm for him and he realized he would just be like that's what she does and i was a i was a personal trainer i was my whole thing so for him he was like that's just what she does that's that's what i did for like eight years it kept my eating disorder very strong um so yeah Uh, that's interesting yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that, Kim, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, I'm going to try a couple more, and then I'm going to go and, I don't know, drink some carver or some sangria, I reckon, yeah? 
Yeah. Go to Taco Bell. Go to Taco Bell. <laughs> I have to go ride at 8.30 because I have like my first yeah, line of the no day. Problem. We'll, do, we'll do two more and then we'll outro and then uh, enjoy the weekend, I guess. Um, I have a fear of people coming too close to me, um, mostly boys because of the past. So maybe this person's had a bad experience with men or boys um, and they, they fear, obviously, a future relationships. So this can be a really mm-hmm. tricky situation depending on an individual situation. Right? I, I guess this needs an individual approach uh, for mm-hmm. someone to know just exactly um, what route to take and, and what advice to give Kim from a therapist yeah. uh, point of view. Yeah, and and this is more about body boundaries, right? So I think the thing is we've been raised um, to believe that um, we should just do what other people tell us to do, um, you know, and and that, you know, everybody kind of can do what they like. And the thing to remember here is that you get to set boundaries with your body as long as you're communicating and setting them clearly um, and, and explaining to someone, like, you know, it's okay to say I've had some, um, it, it, some struggles in the past and it's, it's hard for me to let you touch me, but I'm going to take it slow. And with, tr- with building trust, we, you know, we can move in that direction if that's what you want. Um, but it's also very okay to say, I, I would prefer you not to touch my body. Right. So you get to make your own body boundaries depending on what your own situation is. That's very much yours to decide. I constantly am telling my children, like, it's your body, you get to say who touches it, right? And I think that's an important message. Hey. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Um, one more question. Um, I'll do one that I know Drew will lead off with. And, um... oh boy. Get it, Drew, get it. Yeah, wait. This is this a kale question? <laughs> kale, yeah. Where, where's it? Where's the best kale story? Where's the best kale? <laughs> Can celery cure my anxiety? Yes, celery, celery juice. It's so all about much, the celery juice. So Copper says questions. no. That's a lot of scrolling, dude. There right. must be a ton of questions. Honestly, there's so many. A lot of them are symptom questions. So, um, obviously, we. Guys, when we're asking the symptom questions, obviously we we understand that and the uh, the validation for for all these crazy anxiety symptoms that you get. But the answer tends to be the same if it's breathing, if it's um, hyper, if it's like um, fast heart rate, sweating. It tends to be the same answer that we're focusing on the symptoms that's causing that that then mm-hmm. keeps us in that anxious loop and causes the anxiety. Um, the big thing that helped me and I know helped the other guys is uh, psychoeducation. So learning what these symptoms do and the role they play in an anxiety disorder really takes away the fear from the, uh, from the symptoms. And that really helped me. Um, There's a, if it helps, yeah. in my IGTV, I did a 25-minute video on this yesterday about yeah, really. why you don't have to ask about every single thing you, you fear. So go to my IGTV in a step. Yeah, I totally understand why people ask yeah. it because it's that little bit of reassurance that anxiety is craving, isn't it? So like, like yeah. Kim, when I sent you that picture of the rain, I wanted you to say, Oh well, maybe it is going to be a bit dodgy. But <laughs> oh, actually, I thought about sending you like a gif of like a plane crashing down, and I was like, I can't Kim, do that to the boy. <laughs> Friends, yes, this is the same woman that told him that his plane was going to crash into Mercury. It's going to slam right into Mercury. She says. <laughs> it's Mercury retrograde. Do not uh, fly. The thunder from down under. That's what we're going to call it from now on. 
someone's put, is OCD and anxiety related? Kim, I don't know if you just want to answer that quickly. Yeah, so OCD used to be under the anxiety diagnosis, but now it has its own diagnostic section in the DSM. But yes, it is an anxiety. It is, you know, ultimately it is a part of the anxiety disorder category. Perfect. Uh, this is a good one to finish with. I have a fear of people coming to... Oh, no, that's the same one. Um, sorry about that, guys. Reading the same bloody question. Um, where was it? So they said that they, they're, they're coming towards the end of an anxiety disorder. They feel like they can, they can really see a recovery, but they just can't get over that last hurdle of that they can recover. So that, that belief that they can actually make that final hurdle uh, Drew, do you have any uh, advice on being able to like push him over that final finishing line? And when do you know when you're fully recovered as well? So my answer to that is always a bit of a circular answer. Like, you know, when you're fully recovered, when you stop wondering if you're fully recovered. It, it's I know that sounds like a facetious or a smart ass answer, but that's true. For me, what I always tell people and what I had to do was when I thought I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so close, I'm done here. I had to just keep going until I almost ran out of things that I could practically do. I couldn't practice flying every day. I couldn't do that sort of stuff. But I just pushed it until, uh, this is a topic that's become kind of near and dear to my heart when you have to do the things that you have to do to make your recovery very broad and deep, right? So that recovery becomes portable and durable. It's portable into multiple contexts, even though you don't practice every context in the world because we can't. But the more experiences you give yourself again and again and again and vary those experiences, right, Kemi, you were talking about that at one point, varied experiences lead to more durable and less like less, less likelihood of rehabs, relapse is just give yourself as many possible varied experiences as you can. And sooner or later, that does translate into the, the confidence that, oh, even though I didn't fly yet, I know I can. Yeah. That's what makes I, your recovery durable and portable yeah. across multiple contexts. Varied experiences again and again and again. I often hear as well, and I wonder what you guys think of it really quickly. Um, people say, so that means that, that you're saying that we have to live with anxiety. You're saying that you can't get rid of it. Um, what would your answer to that be? Not, I'm not saying that. I know Kim will probably chime in on this too, but no, I'm not saying that you have to live with it. You don't have to live with being afraid of being afraid. Like, so yeah. we always talk about, like, I'm not going to tell anybody they'll live an anxiety-free life because there yeah. might be some things in life that will trigger anxiety. You just don't yeah, have to I'm react sure to it. It's really important to have it. Right. The way you used to. Like, we're just trying to change the way we react to anxiety, not get rid of it. But yeah. when you change the way you react, then anxiety just becomes a normal part of your life. And it doesn't happen all the time anymore. Yeah. yeah. 100%. 100%. The other thing to remember here, and I said this exact same thing to Dean on Wednesday, is I fully believe you can recover. The reason being is that your brain has what we call neuroplasticity, which means as you change behaviors, your brain actually changes. Like if we did a scan of your brain pre-treatment, it would look different to how it looks post-treatment. And that's because your brain actually does change. And through small changes, small changes, medium-sized changes comes large changes. And so everybody's brain is able to have neuroplasticity. Everyone can learn Spanish. You know, it's, it takes time, but it's, it's possible with baby steps. So I would, I want to say to the, the person who asked the questions, like, I fully believe you can recover, right? I fully believe you can recover. Keep that in your heart and keep moving in small baby steps. You'll get there. 
just might take some time. Fantastic. Uh, perfect place to end it as well. Guys, recovery room on the road. We did it, the first one. Shame Josh wasn't here, but he came in, which is beautiful. Um, great, great for him to pop in. What, what are you guys working on this week? Kim, special days. Is it today? Today. Today. Today is guys, the work is, Where can everyone get it? Amazon, yeah. yeah? Amazon, anywhere where you buy books. The self-compassion anywhere workbook you buy for books. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. And if if they go over to Kim Lee Quinlan on your um, page, it's on it's on there to, to get, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've already seen the, the great um, reviews already, but I knew it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have to read page one to know it was going to be a, a blockbuster. Thank uh, you. I've yeah, read so, it, and it, I've read every so, page. It's really, yeah. really, really good. Thank Even you. if you don't have OCD, there's a tremendous amount of good stuff in there. So Thank you. So proud, Kim. Um, Thank you. And Drew, the audio book, yeah? Yeah, the audio book is out. So that that's little cool. green lizard, he's still hanging around, isn't he? He is, he's hanging in there. Yeah, that lizard's making inroads. So it's, it's cool. So I thank you for everybody who supported it. But yes, if you're waiting for the audiobook, it is out. So if you go to 7percentslower.com, all the links to get it. Are there. So. Yeah. And uh, again, I've been seeing people sharing the book, which is, uh, is, is, is the best feeling, isn't it? When you, you see in your book in different locations and just seeing the impact that the words are having on people uh, on a day to day basis is fantastic. It's why we do it. Yeah. And the seven percent slower jokes are killing me. They're so good. Everybody's coming up with such clever little. <laughs> Just keep them coming. Fantastic. Anyway, well, yeah. Thank you so much for accommodating and coming in earlier, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Have the best time on your vacation, Dean. Enjoy, thank you man. So much. Take yeah. it easy, guys. Yeah. See you guys later. Happy Friday. You've been listening to DLC Live. Be sure to follow Dean on Instagram at DLC Anxiety. Check our website at dlcanxiety.com and grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Greater Than Panic, on Amazon today. See you next time.